Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Starting in chapter 2, the book of Revelation, the seven verses today. The heading is to the church in Ephesus. Hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May God give us understanding of his word. Amen. Amen. Father, we do need understanding to uh, fathom these verses that we're about to study this morning. So we need to have our ears open. We need to be tuned in, not be distracted, to teach us uh, what these verses mean, that uh, they're just as relevant today as they were when they were first written to the church. So help us to listen and concentrate and not be distracted. Amen? It was understanding. Title of this message, Jesus Addresses the Church in Ephesus. From last week, we learned how Jesus appeared to the Apostle John and told him to write down all that he saw and to send those letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now Western Turkey. Seven churches. This is the first letter that was sent to the church in Ephesus uh, that uh, Jesus addressed to the church there. City of Ephesus was a seaport on the Aegean Sea with a very large population. 
very important locality, very rich city. And it was the closest to the island of Patmos where the Apostle John was exiled. The Apostle Paul was the one that founded that church in Ephesus. And now 40 years later, in fact, John was also the pastor of that church as well, and also Timothy. But now 40 years later, here we have Paul, uh, John on the island of Patmos writing this letter to the same church that he once pastored. In verse 1, this letter is addressed to the angel in Ephesus. Jesus is holding the seven stars of the seven churches in his right hand and walking amongst the golden lampstands. The lampstands, if you remember, we're told from last week's message, are the seven churches. The lampstands are the seven churches. Read that, chapter 1, verse 20. Jesus explained what the lampstands were, the churches, those seven churches. Like I said last week, the word stars, it's not just the celestial creation. Stars could also mean angel, angel. It could also mean both in the Greek and the Hebrew, those words mean messenger, messenger. I also mentioned last week that it was more than likely that these messengers are referring to the pastors of those churches because they have a message. We have the message of the cross to share with people that are willing to listen. Pastors rather than actual spiritual angels. Now why? Just think about it. It doesn't make sense for Jesus to tell John to write to a letter to an angel, would it? The angels are not the leaders of the church, and they probably couldn't read anyway. So what was the point? So I'm convinced that these messengers are the ministers who are given the responsibility in the church to preach Jesus Christ, the message of the cross, Jesus who is the light, so people can see the light, and people can come to the light. Amen? And like I said, the word angel or stars uh, are interchangeable with the word messenger. Besides, why not call us ministers angels anyway? <laughs> I've heard some people call us a lot worse. Right? I'll say no more. But you'd be surprised the things that uh, they call us sometimes. Nasty. All right. Anyway, when we read that Jesus is holding those stars in his right hand, the messengers, the ministers, it means he's protecting his ministers. He protects his ministers. He watches over his ministers. And he also watches what they do. Ooh. He's watching. Jesus is watching. He's watching now. He knows what we're thinking, what we're doing. 
In verse 2, Jesus commends the church in Ephesus for their efforts and their patience in the midst of their suffering and persecution, living amongst hostile heathens in that locality and the false religions, the magnificent temple of the fertility goddess Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world situated right there in Ephesus where there was gross immorality that occurred in their worship of the false god Diana along with other occult practices that were commonplace so there you have the little church in Ephesus in the midst of that and they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Those believers were also commended for testing certain teachers that came into the church that professed to be apostles. But they were actually false teachers sent by Satan to harm the church. And that's what he did then, and that's what he tries to do now. He brings his agents within the body of Christ, you know. And we have to test each and every one to see that they are truly of the Lord and in the Lord. And some are not, but thankfully most are saved. And we know from the book of Galatians... that false teachers had infiltrated those churches, many churches in that region. This is what we've already studied in the book of Galatians. That's why Paul had to write to the church in Galatia and all the other churches there. Verse 3, Jesus continues to commend the church in Ephesus because of their steadfast endurance. That's what we need to do. We need to be steadfast. We need to make a stand for what we believe to be the truth, what we know to be the truth. He commends them for their steadfast endurance in the midst of their struggles and their persecution. They were doing good from that point of view. But, like all churches, they weren't perfect. Except Coleraine, of course. (laughs) No. There's no church to perfect. Billy Graham says, if you want to find the perfect church, You'll never do it because when you enter in, that immediately becomes imperfect. Because we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. There's no such thing as a perfect church. When we get to heaven, there'll be no denominations. We'll all be one in Christ and everything will be hunky-dory. Everything will be perfect. In the meantime, we're going to have problems. So they had problems and Jesus points it out. In verse 4, yet I hold something against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken the love you had for me at first. Having commended the church initially, Jesus had a problem with them. They were devoted to the truth that we've just learned about. That was good. Amen. And they served the Lord. They were making a stand in the midst of suffering and persecution amongst the heathen, hostile population. But they didn't have a heartfelt 
love for Jesus. He didn't have a heartfelt love for Jesus. Oh, yeah, they were doing all the works. Jesus commended them for that. But where was the love for him? Now, the church is, to give you an example, a church in Ephesus is similar to a couple. I'm not, it, you know, this is, this is not referring to any particular couple. Just giving an example. They met and they fell in love. And uh, they loved each other very much. And then they got married because they loved each other, when they spent time together. Then after a period of time, their relationship started to cool off. Then they were just going through the motions. No, they weren't going to separate. They were going to stick it out because they were married. The wife continued to do her work. They continued to perform her duties in the home, raise the kids, do the housework, do the work, but without a genuine love for the man that she first married, the man that she used to be in love with. She did all the work, but there was no genuine affection for her husband. Likewise, the husband. Of course, he loved his wife. This is why he married her. This is why he proposed to her. He provided for his family. He did all the chores like a good husband ought to do. He kept on doing the work in the relationship, in the marriage, but he no longer loved his wife. And this is what Jesus has a problem with that church. They were doing all the work, but they never loved Jesus the way they used to. Like the husband and wife, they used to love each other very much. Jesus is the bride. We are the bride of Christ, right? And it's so easy to fall out of love with Jesus and just focus on doing the work and forgetting about the love of God. The Ephesian church, they were doing the work. Great, God commands them, Jesus commends them for that. But their initial love for him had grown cold, not like it used to be. The, the, the flame had burned out through an ember. They weren't on fire for the Lord like they used to be. This is why we need to be careful, not just to do the works of the Lord, and for the Lord, which is absolutely necessary, amen? There's jobs for each one of us to do within the church. Yet, if it's done out of just doing it because it needs to get done, without a true, genuine love for Jesus, then it's a complete waste of time. It's in vain. Oh, the, the work will get done, like it was getting done in Ephesus. But it's in vain. It's useless. It's going to get burned up. So Jesus, verse 5, having rebuked the church, then he tells them what to do. He said, you need to remember. 
Remember when you first loved me? When you first got saved? Remember that. And repent. Reverse their spiritual decline. Fall in love with him all over again and serve him out of a pure, devoted heart. Just like they did when they first got saved. Do you remember when you first got saved? How you were filled with the Holy Spirit and how much you fell in love with Jesus and you couldn't do enough for him and you couldn't stop telling people about him. Is that the way it is today? Do we need to examine ourselves like the church in Ephesus? Do we love Jesus more than we did when we first got saved? Or are we just going through the motions, playing church, doing the work? Their commitment to the truth was good. Our commitment to the truth is good, amen? Their good deeds were good. But unless their works were motivated for their love for Jesus, it was all in vain. And those commands that Jesus gave to the church, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What is the lampstand? The church, remember? Those commands came with a warning. If the church didn't follow through, that church, that lampstand in Ephesus, would no longer exist. He's going to take away that lampstand. He's going to take it away. Now, there must be umpteen thousands of church buildings. I'm not so sure about here, but definitely in Europe where the missionaries came over from Europe, like John Wesley and people like that, George Whitfield. Hundreds of churches, church buildings, I should say, where the gospel was once preached because they loved Jesus. They were willing to make those sacrifices for Jesus because they loved him. Yet now there are hundreds and hundreds of those buildings that are closed down. Jesus has taken the lampstand away. The Holy Spirit has been removed from those places. Why? Because they cease to preach Jesus, they cease to love Jesus. And it's a warning to the church. It's a warning to our church. Be careful you get in. I don't intend to leave, but if God has other plans, be careful who you get to replace me. Be very careful what they believe, amen, and who they are. Because sometimes Satan comes like an angel of light. Then having commended them and then he rebukes them, again he commends them. That's Jesus, you see. He loves them. 
unconditionally. If, if you love people, you tell them the truth and you warn them. Amen? He said, verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What? Jesus hate? Oh, no. Jesus is love. But he hates with a pure hatred, righteous hatred. Doesn't hate the people. He hates the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, who, the, who on earth were the Nicolaitans? I'm glad you asked. Having warned the church in Ephesus, Jesus commends them again for hating what he hated. The practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, according to one account, Nicholas, it wouldn't, it's not self, Saint Nicholas, by the way. I guess he, he, he claimed to be a saint because uh, he claimed to be saved. But as it turned out, he wasn't. Nicholas, and you can read this in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. Look it up if you don't believe me. Of course, I know you do. Nicholas was one of the seven deacons in the church in Jerusalem. How about that? He was a proselyte. He wasn't a Jew initially, right? And he became a deacon. However, over a course of time, he fell away from the truth and he founded a cult known as the Nicolaitans. This is what we're learning about this morning. Who were they? This sect... This cult, what did they do? Well, they felt free to partake in the idolatrous feasts of the pagans, just like the Ephesian heathens did in the temple of Diana. This is a guy that was a deacon in the church of Jerusalem. Hello? And not only that, they indulged in sexual immoral practices. The same lifestyle as the majority of the people do out there. It's also believed that the Nicolaitan religious group, and there's so many religious groups, too numerable to mention, they advocated the rule of the clergy, even though I don't have a dog collar. <laughs> I'm a clergyman, all right? They, they advocated the rule of the clergy over the laity. That's you, the laity. And they derived this theory, this belief, from the combination of two Greek words translated, believe it or not, Nicolaitans. This is what one of the words means ruler. Ruler. Not the thing you measure something with. It's not talking about that. And the second word means people. So you've got the ruler and you've got the people. In other words, they believe that one person should rule over all the others. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Even in our day, and you know it as well as I do, 
Certain religious groups believe that a priest should be the absolute ruler over their congregation. Right? Oh, man. Anyway, I won't go into it. Better not. Oh, no, I won't say it. But a true minister of Jesus Christ will not rule his congregation like a dictator, but adopt the motto, first among equals. First among equals. We're all equal. All right? God loves, doesn't love me any more than he loves you. He loves us just the same. All right? First among equals. However, sheep do need a shepherd. The sheep have to be led. Amen? Amen. By the shepherd. But we're all equal. We've just been assigned different ministries, that's all. But we've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. You have the power to share your faith with people that are unsaved as much as I do. You are, we are to be witnesses. We are his ambassadors. Wherever you go, an ambassador represents the king. Amen? We represent the king. Who's the king? Jesus. Jesus, finally. Verse 7. It's only seven verses. And there's only 22 chapters. I was talking to the pastor. We had a meeting on Thursday. I told him I was preaching in the book of Revelation. And uh, there was somebody, he, he, he did about three chapters. And like I said before, Pastor McCountry, he, he, was, he did about six months into it. I said this last week. And then two deacons came to him, elders. He said, well, maybe we should change now. Maybe we should have a change out of uh, Revelation. We've been here for six months. He said, okay. I said, what did you do? He said, I carried on. <laughs> he finished it. And that's what we're going to do. And I don't care how long it takes. Amen. We're not going to rush it <clears throat> because there's so much in it. So much to learn. Boy. And I'm not saying I know all the answers. I don't. I don't. Finally, last verse. Jesus concludes this letter to the church in Ephesus with an invitation and a promise. He invites the church not only to hear what he's saying, but also obey what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. It's one thing to hear the word of God, the word of truth, and it's another to obey it, isn't it? But Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll obey me. Amen? That's the acid test. You know, if you love your mom, kids, if you love your mom, you'll do, do what she tells you to do, yes? And if we love Jesus, we should do what he tells us to do. And that's the proof of our love for him, to obey what he tells us to do. Now, he said, 
if you do that, if you hear and obey what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, then they will live a victorious Christian life. They will live victoriously. And also, they're going to be rewarded in heaven. And that just goes for us as well. We can live a victorious Christian life. And we're also going to receive rewards in heaven if we obey and not just hear. And he says he promised that they would eat from the tree of life. This came up in Sunday school this morning. They would eat from the tree of life in paradise, in God's paradise. Now we know the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. It's not there anymore. Some reason God took it out. It's mentioned here in verse 7. It's also mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. It's also mentioned in the last chapter of this book, Revelation chapter 20. The tree of life. It's in paradise. Now, in this case, the word paradise, I could carry on for another half hour talking about the difference between actual paradise and what we call heaven. In this case, more likely than not, that paradise and heaven are interchangeable words. It means the same thing. Look up uh, 2 Corinthians 12.3. Paul mentions it. He was called up into the third heaven or paradise. All right, the promise. And it's going to take place and it's going to happen. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. So Jesus is trying to get them to focus on what's most important in life. Not only in this life, but also the afterlife. You know what the most important thing is? And the most important person is? Jesus. That's who we need to focus on. And that's what the church in Ephesus needed to focus on and get back to loving him like they used to love him before. I'm almost finished. Even in the midst of their suffering and their persecution, they were to remember to be led by the Holy Spirit. They were told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if they were, if they obeyed that, then God would manifest in their hearts and in their lives the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, can you tell me what it is? What's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love. Love. He says, get back to your first love. He has to come first. Jesus has to come first. Now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're led by the Holy Spirit, then we'll love Jesus and we're going to be able to love other people as well. If the Ephesian church or any church, including our church, that follow Jesus and they follow his instructions we're not only going to be blessed, the church will be blessed and the church, you 
and I, which are part of, we are going to receive rewards that are waiting for us in heaven. It's just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. Amen? Amen. Let's just close. Thank you, Father, for giving us some semblance of uh, clarity in these verses and the significance of it. Uh, sometimes uh, you seem so distant. If we, were, if we were honest with you, you sometimes seem so far away. But I think it's at times like that then uh, our faith is tested. And then in some miraculous way you show yourself to us uh, in different ways when we read your word or your Holy Spirit just gets stirred up within us and uh, we're reminded uh, how much you do love us and uh, the sacrifice and the suffering that you endured in order to bring us God to God and fill us with your Holy Spirit so we could be born again and all the blessings that we can know all the blessings that we received all the blessings that we enjoy because of your gracious unconditional love so lord that we we have to confess that we may our love may not be as strong for you as it was when we first got saved and if that's the case we ask for forgiveness and your love hasn't changed one bit. So, Lord, we ask you to revive us again. We ask you to forgive us for not loving you like we ought to. We ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can love you with a pure heart and a grateful grateful heart and a grateful mind we ask you to fill us fill us with your love and that love will be reciprocated by you because you haven't changed and when we go about your work may we not do it begrudgingly out of just doing it because it needs to get done and there's no one else doing it Let's remember that you're watching us. And if we do it out of a pure love for you, we'll be blessed. We'll be so blessed. Our hearts will be full of gratitude, knowing that we're serving you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And as you watch us go about your business, you will reward us one day for our faithful service. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413 624 8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.